Holiday House Books for Young Readers, Peachtree Publishing Company, and Pixel and Ink present Mary Amato, author of Game On, and Diane K. Salerni, author of JD in Five Dimensions, in conversation with Holiday House Editor-in-Chief, Mary Cash. Hi, I'm Mary Cash, Editor-in-Chief of Holiday House, and I'm excited to talk science fiction with Mary Amato and Diane K. Salerni on the Guestbook Podcast. So imagine being kidnapped by aliens and then asked to be a star striker on their soccer team and help them win an intergalactic tournament. You'll get cool high-tech gear and play against teams from worlds you never heard of. But then you find out that playing in this World Cup-style tournament has put a major mark on your back and could even threaten your life. Or alternatively, imagine being an agent for a secret group of fourth dimensional beings who give you missions specifically calculated to help guide the world towards a brighter future, or so you believe. Then you learn that your origin story, everything you thought that you knew about your life, was fake, making you question the very motives of the ones who you thought were looking out for you. These are the two premises of amazing middle grade science fiction novels out this fall. The first book in the Star Striker series, Game On by Mary Amato, and J.D. in Five Dimensions by Diane K. Salerni. Mary Amato has written many books, including the hilarious Riot Brothers series and the Lucy McGee series. Her novels have appeared on Children's Choice, State Award lists around the country. She's also a singer-songwriter who performs in the Washington, D.C. area and a co-founder of Firefly Shadow Theater, a puppet company for which she writes and directs shows. Diane Salerni has written numerous novels, including the Junior Library Guild selection Eleanor, Alice, and the Roosevelt Ghosts. After teaching fourth and fifth grades for a number of years, Diane now spends her time hanging around creepy cemeteries for book research and volunteering at her local animal rescue center. Mary, Diane, welcome to the Guestbook Podcast. Thanks, Mary. Something that I'm curious about, because you've both written all different kinds of books, is what attracted you to science fiction? And Diane, why don't you start? Okay. Um, I have to say that when I was a child, uh, like elementary school, I had absolutely no interest in science fiction whatsoever. I was strictly a mystery fan. The more gothic, the better. And if there were ghosts, that was even better. My brother was a big science fiction fan, and he was always trying to get me to read the books that interested him or watch Star uh, Star Trek, the original series. And I had no interest whatsoever. And then when I was about 12 years old, um, one day the family's in the grocery store and I'm looking at the uh, stacks of books, like the best selling books. And I was attracted to a book that I'd seen a numerous, a number of times and I'd never had any interest in it before. And I can't explain it. It's as if this book put a spell on me because it was totally 
nothing that I would have wanted to read before. It would totally have been my brother's thing. But for whatever reason, I had to go home that day. It was 1977. And I went home with Star Wars, the novelization, and overnight became a science fiction fan. And uh, I had to tell my brother that he was right, which was probably the hardest part of the whole thing there. But I've been a fan of science fiction ever since then. Um, spent my high school reading Roger Zelazny, Isaac Asimov, C.J. Shura, Douglas Adams. So that was basically the beginning of my um, my love with uh, science fiction. I love Diane. This is Mary Amato, by the way. And Diane, I love your description of that book kind of casting a spell on you. I think, you know, if you are a reader or a writer, you've definitely had that experience of, of having a book just call to you from the shelf. It's, it's a great image. Um, should I jump in, Mary Cash? Absolutely. Great. Well, um, like Diane, as a young child, I gravitated toward realistic uh, character-based fiction, which I assume that's what Diane was saying is is not the science fiction, um, but the realistic fiction. And uh, I really always wanted to have a character who I could relate to. That was just my entry into a book. Uh, that said, when there was a time where um, I could follow a character who I could relate to into an experience that was otherworldly, I found that to be really thrilling. I grew up in a small town and just to escape that small town in a big way was part of the, of the thrill of reading. And for me, the first book that I'll say um, isn't really a science fiction book, but 21 Balloons by William Penn Dubois, uh, that book had these elements of, you know, this, this incredible, um, use of these balloons in quasi scientific, uh, ways. So there were these scientific like explanations for how they were going to use these balloons to create this other world. And I loved that. It really captured my imagination and it, it was the book that kind of started to get me into broadening my spectrum away from realistic fiction. I would say I don't gravitate toward hard science fiction. And by that, I would mean the, the kind that's plausible that, that a scientist would read and not cringe about. I do tend to gravitate toward the blend of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, there's elements that really do have scientific plausibility, but then there are elements that, uh, you know, that you, if you're a science lover, you have to take it all with a grain of salt. Um, Philip Pullman, Edward Eager, Susan Cooper, uh, Margaret Mayhew, those were some of my influences in that blend of fantasy, uh, that whole world of fantasy slash science fiction. Thanks for the question. Oh, well, and also broadening your reading is one thing. Uh, trying to write uh, in a whole new genres is quite another. So, Diane, what made you make the leap? Um, I, I guess that, and again, once I started reading science fiction and fantasy, I started writing science fiction and fantasy up to that point. I, and, and I had been, I've been a writer since before. I could actually write or read. I, I still have the first story that I ever composed. Um, it's a 
it's all drawings. It's called the dragon and the girl. And it's a picture of your standard girl, you know, girl captured by dragon and boy comes and rescues her. And there's no words to it. And I glued it myself together with Elmer's glue. Um, but going forward from there, I mostly wrote mysteries like I read. And once I started reading science fiction and watching science fiction, I was, yes, I started watching Star Trek and Doctor Who and Blake Seven, if anybody remembers that. And then I would start to start, I started with fan fiction. I did write some Doctor Who fan fiction and then eventually went moved into my own stories of uh, fantasy and science fiction. Um, JD and Five Dimensions is different than the other books that I have written for kids in that it's the one that I can say is actually pure science fiction. I have written a lot of speculative works that involve magic, fantasy, ghosts. But uh, when I was a fifth grade teacher, I taught my students that fantasy and science fiction were related, but fantasy involves events that couldn't happen in the real world that have a magical explanation. And science fiction involves events that couldn't happen in the real world that have a scientific explanation. Uh, J.D. is my first just true science fiction. And and Mary, what about you? Well, I thought that this was my first story ever, but recently I found a box of stories that I had written when I was seven. And lo and behold, in that box uh, were two science fiction stories that I wrote in second grade. And, uh, you know, this was a time in our country where we were so excited about the moon and uh, traveling to the moon. Uh, I had uh, pictures of, you know, Neil Armstrong and all of the astronauts on my wall, along with pictures of the Cubbies, because I'm an Illinois girl and a Cubs fan. So, you know, I would have Ernie Banks next to Neil Armstrong and, uh, and I really was captivated by this idea that we were actually traveling into space. You can, you can see my excitement and uh, my stories really had to do with uh, what kinds of things one would experience as a child on those planets. And for some reason, uh, one of the things were fish flavored bananas. You <laughs> and another one of the uh, in- innovations from another planet was um, electric barber chairs, <laughs> and 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 I think about that and I think well well um, didn't I wasn't my barber able to like raise my chair and then I realized it was his foot that was pumping on the chair to raise it. It wasn't electric. And then in my mind, I thought, oh, how cool if this chair could raise and lower via electricity, (laughs) that would be otherworldly. So you can see how um, when you're a kid, you know, you relate to the things that are, are a part of your everyday life. And, and the joy is thinking, what would this be like on another planet for uh, my particular book? The inspiration for Game On really came from my sons. They are soccer players. And when they were young, I did a lot of chauffeuring, taking them basically all over this planet. That's how I felt. I felt like I I was driving them all over this planet to go from practice to practice and game to game. And in the car, I just had this little moment where I thought, oh, well, what if I actually were? Like, what if, (laughs) what if... 
my kids were going from planet to planet. And, and I think that's what's so fun about being a fiction writer. You're, you're constantly allowing yourself to dream of the what if. And once I got that idea, it stuck with me. It took me decades to decide to write it. I just sat on the idea. And that's because I think I wasn't a science fiction kid. I didn't grow up reading science fiction. I really stuck close to realistic fiction and to fantasy. And so it took me a long time to give myself the permission to say, yeah, go ahead. Uh, give it a try. It's been really fun. Well, and I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the challenges of this world building, because the things your books each have in common is they're partly of this world and then partly of a wholly invented one. And that seems awesome to me. <laughs> so, Diane, how what are some of the sort of challenges and maybe really fun parts of inventing uh, a new world, a new dimension in your case? <laughs> so since I, I was parts of my story take place in dimensions other than our own. Um, and I was inspired to this. I, I've actually been fascinated with the idea of other spatial dimensions since I was in middle school and I read uh, sections of Flatland uh, by Edwin Abbott and Spherland, uh, which was a sequel written by a totally different person named Dianus Berger. And these stories, uh, the characters were um, all two, they, they lived in a two dimensional world. Like the main character is a square and his sons are pentagons and his wife is a line. And he was visited by a sphere that came from the third dimension. And he was, and he is the sphere introduced the square to the idea of three dimensions. And then the sphere was visited by an oversphere from the fourth dimension. So I've always been kind of fascinated with that. But those two books are like an intellectual type of story. There's not really an adventure to them. Uh, it, it wasn't until I was a novice teacher that I discovered the works of William Slater and in particular the book, um, The Boy Who Reversed Himself, in which there is an actual adventure that takes place with some young people who have the ability to move from the third dimension into the fourth dimension. So that was the first time that I thought that uh, a, the different geometry could actually be a setting for an actual story and not just an intellectual exercise. So I started doing research uh in these dimensional ideas, um, I did, I, and apparently mathematicians have been thinking about it for years because there are actually words for the extra dimensions. In, in, in three dimensional space, we can move forward, backwards, uh, left, right, and up and down. But in the fourth dimension, they can also move two more directions, which are called Anna and Kata. And those names were made up by, uh, uh, mathematicians in the 1800s. Likewise, you have a two-dimensional square and a three-dimensional cube. And then the next step would be a four-dimensional tesseract, which, again, is a word that was invented in the 1800s. And, and my apologies to Madeline Langle, it doesn't mean a wrinkle in time. It actually is the four-dimensional analog to a cube. So I did kinds of other kinds of research. I the, Some people speculated that sound waves would travel differently in the fourth dimension, and it's believed that three-dimensional knots would come untied in, the, in four dimensions because what holds them together in three dimensions, there's an extra way for them to move so they would just fall apart. So having done all of that research, I then just kept that kind of in my head. I didn't sit down to make 
a, a list of rules. I just started to tell a story and I brought in these ideas whenever they seemed appropriate. When I reached the end of the first draft and I knew what had to happen in the story, that's when I sat down and started writing my rules. Because I was like, all right, this has to happen. Therefore, this thing has to work this way. And so I constructed my rules after I had my story. And then it was a matter of in the subsequent revisions that I then adjusted whatever didn't fit so that I now made my story conform to the rules that I had invented. But it was the uh, the world building was story driven to start with. Mary Amato, so did you write your rules first or uh, what, what method did you use? <laughs> Well, way more outlining for this kind of project than I've ever used before. However, uh, my story really is character driven. And, and so my first thing to do is to feel the character's story and to figure out what the character's emotional struggle is. And, and in my case, because, um, like, like, uh, with Diane's book, which has some, scenes that take place in kind of normal life and then some scenes that take place in another world uh, or another dimension. Um, I really had first my way in was to think about Albert's real world, my main character's real world, what that was like first. And that was a, a nice little way for me as a primarily a writer of realistic fiction to wade into the waters there. And then uh, and then my story takes place first on one planet and each game it will take place on one of the different planets. And it, that's also a kind of a nice thing because I could spend some time with this first book just thinking about the first planet. Um, and what happens to me is um, there's this incredible kind of liberating effect. So Mary Cash, when you first asked this question, you said, you know, it's complicated to build these worlds, but it's also fun and you've got it. It's complicated because you have to keep track of everything. Um, and you have to make sure that what you're dreaming up makes sense, but it's also incredibly liberating. And I think for me, the, the liberation is that, um, I can really raise the stakes very quickly and very satisfyingly in, uh, in, in another world in, in space. And so if I were to write a realistic story about a seventh grader and I wanted to give that seventh grader some kind of big challenge, realistically, my options would be limited, but throw that kid into outer space and suddenly the challenge that that, that kid can face can be so huge. For example, um, maybe that kid is kidnapped and is sent flying toward a black hole. I'm not saying that that happens because I wouldn't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> if it did, if it were to happen, how exciting would that be? Uh, so I, a lot of this was very liberating for me. And, and, um, that was a kind of a fun byproduct of the world of science fiction is just the ability to let your imagination, you know, just kind of exponentially grow. I loved that. Right now, I feel like we should subtitle this podcast, Writing Your Own Rules. <laughs> That's a great idea. So in both of your books, a real theme is 
the consequences of one's actions, you know, in both of them, there are these really moral decisions that your characters have to make. And I'm very curious about, you know, whether you decided to tackle those themes or did they just kind of show up in your stories as you were writing them? Um, Diane, why don't you start? All right. So I, I think that uh, along with the idea that I wanted to write a um, a story that looked into other dimensions, I had also been interested in the in the idea of the butterfly effect. That the you know the flap of a butterfly wings in in one continent might eventually cause a t- tornado in another, and so therefore I and, and I know that there's a movie about this too. I forget it's one of, uh, the name of the movie, but this idea that you can. You, you can cause someone to spill their coffee and it will have these unintended con or, or, or intended consequences, a cascading effect that causes something else to happen. And so in, in my story, these four dimensional beings call, they call themselves the seers and they have enlisted a group of humans, adults and kids to perform what they call course corrections. They say that they are putting the earth on track for a brighter future. And they ask these agents to go to certain places and perform simple tasks, which will have a cascading effect towards the, the consequence that these seers want that want, want to happen and that is supposed to be helping our future. Um, those in the, I'm not, this isn't a spoiler because it happens in the first chapter. Um, I mean, character JD Martin uh, runs down a woman on her skateboard in the street, steals her purse and throws it into traffic. And she doesn't really know why she's doing it. She only knows that whatever that whatever events she caused to happen uh, is supposed to be something good for mankind. And this is what she believes. And she believes this because she was um, an abandoned baby who would normally have died and uh, was who was rescued. Um, by these four dimensional seers. They sent their best human agents to rescue her and take their, take her into their family and raise her as their own. So everything in her adopted family has led her to believe that whatever she does, if she does have to mug a lady on the street, that it's going to have good consequences for mankind somehow, some way. However, when she switches missions with another agent, which she's not supposed to, she discovers that this story is a lie, that she was not abandoned by the side of the road. And once she realizes that she has been lied to, then she starts to wonder about, well, what are the actual consequences of these actions? Am I really, uh, am I really helping Earth? And are these people interested in helping Earth or do they have another whole reason for what they are doing? So the um, and then, of course, there is an alternate character, an alternate point of view character, um, J.D.'s next door name, next door nemesis, I call him. And he's also an agent. He has never believed the Sears. He always believes they have some secret purpose. And he himself only performs the missions that they want him to perform because he's trying to get something out of it for himself. So the entire premise is based on uh, that you do you, you perform an action and that there are unintended consequences and that what if there were beings who actually could plot out these consequences and have you do these things without really knowing what you were doing and why you were doing them. So Mary Amato, 
Did you begin with an intention of addressing the, the issue of consequences when you started this book? I always am thinking about consequences and I'm always trying to find ways to make consequences that actually feel consequential. I think that both Diane and I have created characters that have responsibilities that you could call adult type responsibilities. They're huge. They're, they both are really, um, you know, lots, lot, a lot is on the line for both of our characters personally, but then also way beyond them for, for, you know, their, their individual communities and even beyond that. In my case, it's, um, it's an entire planet that is at risk, a planet that has been occupied and, uh, Albert's actions will affect that planet. It was funny when Diane was talking about her book and the butterfly effect. I thought back to the very first book that I wrote, a holiday house book called The Word Eater. And it's all about this little worm that likes to eat ink instead of dirt. And when the worm eats ink off the pages, when that word disappears from the world, uh, the thing that that word represented disappears from the world. So if the, if the worm eats the word spinach from a book, then all the spinach in the world disappears. And there are these consequences for that, these unintended consequences. You know, what happens to a, a spinach grower if all of the spinach disappears from his or her farm? Uh, huge unintended consequences. So I think that's a really rich, uh, fictional vein in, in, uh, I think that in the world of most kids, they themselves want to have meaning and consequence in their lives. I remember being a kid and feeling like the kid world somehow didn't count, wasn't real, and the adult world counted and was real. And as a kid, I wanted to do things that counted. So I would do things like I, I wanted to publish a newspaper and I wanted to um, earn money. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, find a cure for cancer. I wanted to do all of these things that could have bigger uh, consequences. And even in play, I, you know, I gravitated toward playing at things that are very responsible. So like I would play at being a teacher or, right. I mean, that's what kids do. They play it at being, uh, being grownups often. And, um, I think that kids really gravitate toward that and like that and crave that and need that from their fiction. So I wanted to really push the limit and have my character, uh, have responsibilities for, that had life or death consequences and science fiction seemed to be such a great way to do that. Again, going back to that other idea that we talked about earlier, which is that big, big, big things can happen in the science fiction world that would be hard to pull off in an ordinary middle school uh, world. That's uh, I think the, the great payoff of science fiction. Speaking of characters, um, Diane brought up uh, multiple characters, and that's something that both your books also share, is that you have uh, multiple 
uh, characters that give us different perspectives. And I wonder what prompted you to make that decision in this book, Diane. Uh, there are uh, three points of view in my book. Uh, JD has most of the chapters. It's not definitely, it's definitely not an alternating thing. Uh, JD's uh, point of view carries most of the story. However, there are two uh, alternate point of views that tell parts of the story that JD can't tell. One is the point of view of Sam, who is JD's natural born brother. And it is through Sam's perspective that we learn uh, what happened to JD, why she is no longer with her birth parents and how that has impacted their life. And not just that, I mean, what happened to them when they lost their baby girl was terrible, but there have been numerous bad things that have happened to their family, which gives the reader the suspicion that um, taking JD away from them was not the only thing that these four dimensional beings have done to this poor family, which then begs the question, why? Why would four dimensional beings target this one family and cause so many bad things to happen to them? The third point of view is JD's next door nemesis, Ty Rivers. And I really enjoyed writing Ty because his, um, he has a flexible moral compass, which is very freeing. Uh, JD's always going to try to do the right thing. And so is Sam, but Ty, not so much. And sometimes it's a lot of fun to work with a character who doesn't play by the rules. And Ty brings a different perspective because he has never trusted the Sears. He has his own, his own goals. And sometimes they're a little bit fuzzy. And I know that um, when I was reading Mary Amato's book, she has a similar character in her book, a character who is an antagonist to the hero of the story who has his own goals. And I, I thought that they were rather similar in that they're not the villain of the piece by any stretch. They, they, they are working against the protagonist for their own reasons. But I know that Mary's character was, was very sympathetic once we understood where he was coming from. And I hope that if Ty is Ty Rivers is maybe not entirely um, sympathetic, that, that, that at least the reader will have some fun or maybe maybe just feel a bit sorry for him in his circumstances and understand why he is the way he is. Mary Amato. So explain your character now. Well, it's funny because my book also has three points of view. And the first point of view is from Albert. It's not it's not told from his voice. It's still told in the third person, but it's his story. And then there is also the, uh, the antagonist, as Diane said. I thought that was interesting to see that uh, reflected too in Diane's book. And then my third point of view character is a dog. And, um, the dog character is in many ways the most fun one to write. And it, Going back to research, it was interesting because um, when I first started to write this dog character, the dog is so loyal and he will go to extremes to help Albert. And I started to doubt myself and think, okay, wait a minute, you know, dogs really just want to eat, right? I mean, you know, they, they don't want to do good deeds. I'm taking this too far. And then I did some research. I happened to watch the Nova documentary called Dog Tales. And they did a study that, um, that looked at dogs and, um, gave dogs, measured dogs dopamine levels, which is the joy chemical. The, they measured their chemi the dopamine chemicals when giving the dogs food 
and they measured the dopamine levels when giving the dogs praise. Lo and behold, dogs will really uh, have high or higher dopamine levels for praise. And that just blew my mind. It's one of the lovely things about research where you um, get an idea for a book and then you you look at the science and the science actually like gives you a little bit of a thumbs up for um, continuing down that path. So it was really fun. Also, I wanted to mention um, I love writing from multiple points of view. So my book, Please Write in This Book, is written from 12 different points of view. And I have a book called Our Teacher is a Vampire and Other Not True Stories. And that book, I think, has like 24 points of view. <laughs> I loved the dog. I loved Tackle. He was he was so his chapters were so much fun. And I did notice the part where you said talked about the dopamine levels for praise. And I, I do I volunteer at a shelter twice a week. And um, part of my duties, I, I walk dogs and I also service the small animal room. And since I read your book, I have been making it a point to make sure that I praise the dogs as much as possible. I'm not the person who feeds them, but I at least can praise them. And and and, and it is true that they, they aren't just interested in food and they do have personalities. Uh, we currently have a little chihuahua who... Um, watches out for everybody else in his area. If he hears another dog in distress, he comes running over to check on them. He, he just feels like he's the protector of everybody smaller than him. And he's kind of small himself, but we do have a couple ones that are smaller and he really looks out for them. They, they truly do have personalities. I am wondering um, from each of you, what worlds or dimensions will we be able to read about next from you? Uh, Mary Amato, why don't you uh, take it first? I have a new picture book coming out in the spring. And of course, I'm working on the next uh, Star Striker book. And the next Star Striker book will take place on a different planet, which is so fun. So I, right now I'm living on this other planet in my mind every day. It's super exciting. And Diane? Uh, for my next book, I'm going back to my original true love, uh, Gothic Mystery. Um, I'm working on a book that is, I guess it's my homage to the supernatural soap opera Dark Shadows that aired back in the 60s and 70s. My mom was a big fan and she used to watch that every afternoon after she put me down for a nap. And then I would I would climb out of bed and creep down the hall and I would watch it from behind a sofa. I think I imprinted on it uh, when I was about four years old. So I have loved everything mysterious and spooky and gothic since then. And this book is um, it's 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 my love letter to Dark Shadows. I cannot wait to read that book. I was terrified by Dark Shadows. I was convinced that there was a vampire in every closet in my house. <laughs> I was a huge fan myself. <laughs> so before we end today, Mary and Diane, would, would you like to sign our guest book here at the Guest Book Podcast? Why don't you go first, Mary? Well, Thank you so much for having me. You know, publishing a book is a huge team effort. And uh, it's not just the publishers and the authors who are on those teams. It is the parents and teachers and librarians and readers who all make up a part of the team. I'm excited to be uh, on this team. So game on and read on. Diane, would you like to sign? 
Yeah, I would like to remind everyone to think outside our dimension. Uh, we know that the world is big. The solar system is bigger. Our universe is big. But imagine that there's something out there even bigger than our universe. And then you can wonder if they're watching us. So that's how I would like to sign off today. Ian and Mary, thank you so much for joining me on the Guest Book Podcast. We are really looking forward to uh, reading much more from both of you.